Hey, this is Ryan Tucker. You are listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. This week is Pastor Stephen's sermon off of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it's titled God's Guarantee. If you have a Bible this morning, open up Romans chapter 8. We're walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. We come to verses 28 and 29. This is 32 weeks in the book of Romans. It's entitled, A Life Transformation. We've entitled it that for a couple of reasons. Number one, the guy who wrote this, Paul, truly had a transformation of life. And one of the things that he has been saying over and over again is that just as Jesus changed him, Jesus can change you. That Jesus can do the miraculous in our lives if we will just trust and surrender to him. So this morning, we're going to talk about God's guarantee. God's guarantee. Have you ever bought uh, a product or have you ever bought something and it has with it a money-back guarantee or a warranty? Hey, if it doesn't act or if it doesn't perform the way that it is supposed to, then we will give you your money back or we will replace it with something that will perform the way it is supposed to. Uh, It's kind of interesting the things that today you can get money back guarantees or warranties on. For instance, dogs. Dogs have become so expensive today that if you have purchased a dog, now, you know, go down to the pound, I don't know that they're offering a guarantee. But if you purchase a dog, you spend so much money, they say, hey, if something happens to this dog, then we will make sure that you get another dog. You know, every time I think about that, I'm like, man, I would have, I would have loved for my grandparents to be alive to have that conversation. They're giving a warranty on a dog. Something else not too long ago, uh, we, were, uh, we were at a sporting goods store and we were buying some baseball equipment for our 14-year-old son and, you know, various things for the season. And we were checking out and uh, she rang up the baseball batting gloves. And here's her question to me, would you like to purchase a warranty? And I said, on what? <laughs> on the baseball gloves. The batting gloves? Yeah, 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 yeah. For $3, you can purchase a warranty. I'm like, and for for what? Are you guaranteeing a number, a specific number of hits? Is that, that, I mean, you're guaranteeing that? Or, I mean, she goes, no, no, no. If they rip or something like that, then you can bring them back. And and my wife says, what if they stink? Because if if you've had a son or even a daughter that's involved in softball or baseball, you know they're going to stink, right? It's amazing the things that you can get guarantees or warranties on today, but what we're going to see in these two verses of Scripture is God offers a guarantee that God says that if you will meet His conditions, then He gives an ironclad promise. So let's read and see what the Bible says that is. We're in Romans 8, verse 28. He says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he says, I guarantee you, if you meet these conditions, that you are going to see all things become a part of my plan to produce good in your life. So with that being said, let's look at four characteristics of this guarantee from God. Number one, his guarantee is legitimate. It is legitimate. For those millennials, it is legit. Just so you understand what I'm talking about. He says this, he says, we know. We know there are no ifs, ands, or buts about this. We know. That we can trust what God says when it comes to this guarantee, when it comes to this promise. You say, well, how can we know? How can we know that Romans 8.28 is really true? How can we know it is legitimate? There are many different ways. I'll submit two of them to you today. The first one is this. God's guarantee is legitimate because of the proof of God's character. What do I mean by the proof of His character? He can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. God has never lied, nor will He ever lie. If God were to lie, then all of a sudden the sun, the moon, the stars, they would all come off of their axes. They would just wander around. I mean, all of a sudden creation, it would, there'd be a howling wind that would go through creation just moaning over the fact that God indeed can lie. We don't ever have to worry about that happening. Because God cannot lie. So based upon the very character of God, because God has said it in His Word, it is legitimate. It is absolutely 100% true. But I'll give you another reason that you can believe God's guarantee is legitimate. And that is the proof of our experience. Once you experience something, nobody can argue with that. Once you you experience something, nobody has to tell you that that indeed is true. Some of you, you you, you visited our church and you came the first time and, you know, you came out to the Welcome Center after the service and you received a brochure that told you a little bit about our church and then you received a little bit of manna from heaven. A goo-goo bar. I kid you not, I've ran into people out in public before, and they couldn't remember my name, they couldn't remember what church I pastored, but they said, oh, you're the goo-goo guy, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. If you're visiting today, I would encourage you, come. Come, we're going to give you some information, but we're going to give you a goo-goo bar. We have found this, just saying the word goo-goo brings happiness to some. But man, it is so good. It is so... I've yet to have one person say this to me. Not saying they're not out there. I'm just saying I've yet to have one person say to me, goo goo bars are not good. But once you experience that goo goo bar with the chocolate and the nuts and just the right amount of marshmallow, not overwhelming, just the right amount then nobody has to explain its goo-gooiness to you. 
you know, man, that's good. That's good. Matter of fact, after the last service, we had this young man who, who came up to the welcome booth or the welcome center after the service. I mean, he is a member of our church, has gone to our church for a long, long time. His Nana, who was visiting from Orlando, who is actively involved in a church in Orlando, is not looking for a church home. She does not even live here. He brings her up and he says, my Nana is visiting today. And she said, yeah, hey, I attend First Baptist Orlando. I'm like, I know your pastor, Dr. Youth. I was meeting with him this week and we talked about that for a little bit and I said I guess you're not looking for a church home she said no and the little boy standing there and he said but I still get my goo goo right (laughs) absolutely you do Nana gets one too you don't have to have anybody describe it if you've ever experienced that you know how good it is likewise there are folks that are listening to me today inside this room or outside of this room who would join me in saying Romans 8:28 is true because not only does the Bible say it mm, I've tasted it I've experienced it I know that it is absolutely unequivocally true. There was a church that I was preaching in one time, not a very big church, and I was walking in with the pastor, and we were kind of greeting folks, and he went to this lady, and he said, I want you to look at her Bible. Look, look at her Bible, and she opened up her Bible, and all through the margins of, of pages of the Bible, there were simply written T-N-T. TNT. I'm looking at my friend like, are you, is this some kind of secret message? Is she problems? Is she, is she uh, an explosion waiting to happen? Is she dynamite? I mean, what, what, what's going on here? And, and, and he said, ask her what it stands for. And I said, what does it stand for? And here's what she said. Tried and true. She had written it right next to Romans 8, 28. Tried and true. I found these scriptures, she said, to be absolutely 100% legitimate. They are tried and true. I would have to say that's true when it came to the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul lived to preach the gospel. Paul lived to start churches. Paul lived to disciple Christians. Then all of a sudden, he was arrested, right? He was thrown in a prison in Rome. You and I probably would have responded with, oh my goodness, I can't believe this has happened to me. You know, let's, let's pick at the praetorium, all right? We're going to get the church together and we're going to send out emails and we're going we're gonna to make sure they know, hey, that's our preacher over there. He's in prison. Leave him alone. He's done nothing wrong. I would have been sitting there, oh my goodness, marking off the days. How long until I get out of here? I'm going to reach out to my congressman. I'm going to try to find somebody who can do something about this because this trap has been committed against me. I've done nothing wrong. There would probably even be a time where I would say, God, what's happening here? Aren't you the God of all creation? Don't you see the pain that I'm dealing with? Don't you see the suffering? Can't you see I'm disappointed? But he didn't do that. We don't even have to guess how he responded because he wrote it down. Philippians 1.12 While you and I would have been moaning and groaning and complaining, here's what he wrote. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's been put in prison because he just couldn't shut up preaching Jesus. 
The things which happened have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. You continue reading in Philippians 1, he's going to go on to say, hey, listen, man, they've thrown me in prison, they've chained me to guards, and you know what I'm doing with my free time? I'm preaching Jesus. These guards are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then these guards are going out from here, and there are people in their life that the guards are now sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with. So he is sitting there, and he is saying, God is doing something mighty even in my pain and even in my prison. God was the guy, or Paul was the guy, who could always see the good in every situation. Can I just ask you today, do you know from personal experience that God's guarantee is true? Paul did. Not only is it legitimate, secondly, it lacks nothing. Notice what he says in 28. For we know that all, A-L-L, all, does it say we know that in some things God works for the good of those who love him? doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that we know in most things God works for the good of those who love? doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that we know that in 99.99% of the things God works for the good of those who love Him? It doesn't say that, does it? It's all. Everything. God is at work. I mean, we just sang about it this morning. Even when I don't see you, I know you're working. Even when I don't, oh, this is a big one. Even when I don't feel it, I want you to hear me today. The promise and the guarantee of God being at work in the world, in your life, is not dependent upon your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. My feelings lie to me. No, he says, in all things, in all things, it lacks nothing in its scope. So let's talk about what all things means. First of all, he is at work in happy times. And you're like, I didn't even need to come for you to tell me that. I know that. And it's a no-brainer. God's at work in happy times? Yeah. What brings about happiness? Good things, right? What get, it brings about good things? God. So God gives me good things, and that makes me happy. And then in turn, more good things produce more good things, which brings about more happiness. I agree. Yes, God is at work in happy times. Or there might be somebody listening today that would say, I don't have happy times. Or there might be somebody that would say today, there's not a lot of good in my life. I say this all loving. Please hear me. I think a lot of times if we would just take the time to stop and count our blessings, we would understand just how blessed we are Amen. with the goodness of God. But happy times. Not only happy times, but hurtful times. He's working. You say, well, how in the world does that work? Well, notice the verse doesn't say there, we know how God works in all things. It just says that we know that God works in all things. You don't have to know how something happens in order to enjoy the benefits of it. I'll give you an example. You'll go home today, and how many of you, before you flip the switch to turn the lights on in your house, will stop and say, well, hang on, I need to figure out how this electricity thing works. 
There might be some of you electrical engineers and all that kind of stuff that have studied it and you already know how it works and all that kind of stuff. There might be some of you crazy redneck engineers that are out there fiddling in the fuse box and all that and, you know, you know just enough to burn your house down. But most of us aren't going to sit there and say, i got to know how electricity works. I'll give you another example. If you were not naturally blessed like I am and you woke up this morning and had to use a hairdryer, you don't sit there and say, oh my goodness, how does electricity work before I turn this on? Most of you ladies have spent as much as you can to get a hair dryer that will dry your hair the quickest. So we don't know how he is going to work. I'm just saying we still can enjoy the benefits that God gives us a promise and it is true in his word. I appreciate the benefit of it. And it's true throughout the entire Bible. I'll give you another example. Joseph in the Old Testament. The story of Joseph. You remember Joseph? Joseph was hated by his brothers. I mean, he was a little arrogant, dude. He really was. He was hated by his brothers. And his brothers, one time they saw him coming, you remember, they, they mugged him, they beat him, they threw him in a pit, they were going to kill him, and yet one brother's like, let's not kill him, let's not do that. And so all of a sudden there was a slave caravan that came along heading to Egypt, and so they sold him to the slave caravan, and they took him to Egypt, and he, and he became a slave in the house of a guy by the name of Potiphar. He was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual assault. They throw him in a prison to be completely forgotten about. And then yet all of a sudden God does something miraculous. He didn't stop trusting God. He didn't moan and groan about his situation. God does something miraculous. Lo and behold, the day comes to where he is before his brothers again. And you know what he said? Genesis verse 20 of chapter 50. The very brothers who assaulted him, here's what he said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. After all these painful experiences, Joseph looks back on it and Joseph says, you know what? God made it good. God accomplished something that I didn't didn't know was going to be accomplished. God did the miraculous in this situation. And friends, listen to me, I can speak from my own experience, maybe, maybe not you, I can only imagine that most of you can identify and agree with this statement that I'm going to make. Sometimes it is the affliction, it is the problems, and it is the pain that drives us to our knees. And God meets us at the point of total desperation. And I think the problem with a lot of people is they're just not desperate enough yet. Yet he offers a guarantee, right? He offers a promise. It's legitimate. It lacks nothing. I'll tell you the third characteristic. God's guarantee is loving. It's loving. How can I say it's loving? Because the very God who is the subject of this passage is loving. And so his promise, his guarantee is loving. Sometimes folks will come along and here's what they'll say. And they'll say it trying to be well-meaning, trying to be compassionate. But they'll say something like this. Well, it'll just all work out. Or they say this, and it blows my mind when Christians say this. Good luck. 
See, see, I don't believe in luck. I believe in the supernatural power of the omnipotent God of the universe. Good luck. Things are just going to work out. Things do not work out. God works things out. Let me give you an example. Let's just say this morning that I were to go up here and I were to pick up this guitar and, uh, you know, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just say that I said, you know what? The strings on this guitar made beautiful music today. Or if I were to go over here and say, my goodness, those drums. We've had those drums for a while, but those drums were really good today. Man, the beautiful music that came from those drums or they came from the keyboard or whatever. You're like, well, that's not true. So I were to walk up there and pick up this guitar. First of all, they told me not to pick up instruments ever again. <laughs> they built me this little area and they're like, just stay there, pastor. Don't, don't come up in our area. And yet they're always trying to get down in my area anyway. If I were to walk up there and pick up the guitar today, I can promise you this. There might be, well, there might be music that comes out, but beautiful would not be the description of it. Same way with the drums, same way with the keyboard, all those kinds of things. We don't say they within themselves produce, they just kind of worked out, right? No, it's the guitarist, it's the drummer, it's the pianist. They are the ones that work that beautiful music out. So it's not just where we sit there and say, oh, things are just going to work them th themselves out. No, it is God that does the work. A couple things that I want to share with you about that. First of all, everything that happens is not good by itself. There are folks who get this wrong. There are folks who sit there and say, okay, since God is at work, since God has given a guarantee, then, then you know what? Everything, I'm to be thankful for everything. No, Scripture doesn't say you're to be thankful for, your, for everything. You're to be thankful in everything. The guarantee of this scripture is not if you're going through a divorce that you say, oh my goodness, this divorce is great. Oh, it is so good. Matter of fact, this divorce is so good. I think what I'll do is I'll get married as quick as I can so I can get divorced again. It is so good. No, you're not going to say that. Based upon the promise of this verse, you're not going to sit there and say, oh man, I went to the doctor today and guess what? The doctor said I had cancer. Isn't that great? You're not going to say that. No, divorce is bad. Divorce hurts. Cancer is bad. Cancer hurts. Crime, assault, all those kinds of things. They are bad. They are not good. This verse is not saying it is good. But God is such a great, good God that God can take all those things that are bad and He can bring about good. That's the second part of the equation. Everything that happens is only one part of God's recipe. We're on this side of glory. We've all been there before, and while we may not have shaken our fist at God, we sit there and inside of our hearts, we're like, God, do you even know what's going on down here? Oh, 
Lord, this is bad. This is terrible. Hey, God, where are you? I mean, it's like we can identify with David in the Psalms. Why are you so quiet? Why have you turned your back to me? Why why are you uh, not even caring anymore of the pain that I'm having to deal with? We're looking at it from this side of glory. The Bible says this. The Bible says that for those that are in Jesus Christ, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that right now we see things, but we see things dimly. God sees things perfectly. He's got that 30,000 foot view, right? God sees yesterday, he sees today. Hey, listen, he sees tomorrow before it ever happens. God sees next week. God sees next year. God sees 50 years from now. It's all part of his recipe and he works good in those things. There are certain foods and certain dishes that we all have that are our favorite. I, uh, I like pecan pie. The very first church that I ever was the pastor at uh, was in North Mississippi. I was the pastor there for two years. It was the longest 20 years of my life. <laughs> I, I'm not making this up. I mean, it, it was not a good, good thing. I would be in deacons meetings and the deacons would be yelling at me and I would be yelling at them. And a lot of it would center around their folks that are coming to our church that we don't know who they are, or they got disappointed or excuse me, they got mad because I dared to baptize folks of a different skin color. And so we're in deacons meeting and they're screaming at me and I'm screaming at them. My wife's out in the hallway and she's praying and, and, and I'd come out of those deacons meetings and I would say, my goodness, I'm so discouraged. My goodness, if I could get a job doing anything else, I would do it. Lord, this is not what I want to be a part of. Lord, this is not what I signed up for. And I would be so discouraged. There was a sweet, sweet, sweet little lady in our church, Miss Annie Mitchell. She was the she was the perfect picture of Southern charm and Southern class. And man, she made a mean pecan pie. And I'd come out of those meetings and I would be so discouraged. And every now and then Jennifer would say this, oh, by the way, Miss Annie gave us a pecan pie. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I know why I'm here. You've heard the cry of your servant in the midst of the wilderness. Y'all say pecan or pecan? Pecan. That's what I say. Pecan. I don't know what that says about you. I don't don't know. Here's the recipe. One cup raw pecans, pecans. One cup raw. Now, I like my pecans covered in chocolate or honey roasted, or the busy bee. I don't know what they do to theirs, but my goodness, that is just really good. So I might could do that, but raw pecans, I don't think so. Um, One cup of white corn syrup. Anybody here, you're like, boy, when I get home today, I'm going to pour myself up a cup of white corn syrup. (laughs) And uh, no, you're not going to do that. That'd be nasty, wouldn't it? One cup of dark brown sugar. Anybody here want to eat that stuff? Ugh. Be terrible. Three raw eggs. Anybody else like that besides Rocky Balboa? 
He's, yeah, you saw, you see what eggs have done to him. <laughs> one third teaspoon of salt, one half cup of melted butter. And some of you are like, oh, I can do that. I dare you. <laughs> Try to choke that down. Dare you. One teaspoon vanilla. I might be able to handle that one. Pour that over my raw pecans. You know what I'm getting at, right? You know what I'm getting at. You take all of those ingredients, and individually, they're horrible. They're horrible. You're not going to sit there and say, oh, boy, that's what I am craving right now. Individually, but then you take, listen to me, you take all those ingredients, you put them together, you move them into the oven, and then what comes out? Mm -mm. Ministers to a preacher's soul after a deacon's meeting in Mississippi. Well, friend, I'm here to tell you this, that when it comes to pain and suffering and hurting in life, there's not one of us that sits here and says, boy, you know what? I'd like to have a cup of that. But then all of a sudden, God will take it. And he'll put it in the oven of his omnipotence. And what comes out is something that's beautiful. That's his promise. That, that, that's his guarantee in this passage of Scripture. It's the nature and the character of God. All these circumstances and experiences that by themselves are very bitter and they're very bad. And then all of a sudden the Bible says, out pops something that is for our good and for his glory. Do you know what the greatest example of that is? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. That here is God, and God is watching His only Son being arrested. And I'm sure like any father, he probably thought, man, that is not good. That God saw them as they laid Jesus' back bare. They took a cat of nine tails, think of a whip, with nine different whips coming off of it, and intermingled in that whip of leather are animal bones and pottery, so much that it was designed that when they hit His back, it would rip skin away and so the flesh of his back is hanging off like ribbons and I'm sure God the Father thought you know what that is not good they took a crown of thorns and they put it on his head the Bible says that they took a stick and they blindfolded Jesus and they said if you're the son of God tell us which one has hit you and I'm sure God the Father must have thought, you know what, that is not good. And the Bible says this, the Bible says that they took Jesus, they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross, they lifted it up, and for six hours he hung there. And I can only imagine that the Father said, that is not good. But do you know what came out of that? What came out of that is forgiveness and healing and cleansing and transformation for all those who will believe. And God said, now that's good. That's good. The cross is the greatest proof of Romans eight twenty eight. It's legitimate. It lacks nothing. It is loving. Here's the fourth one. It's limited. This promise is not for everybody. For instance, if you buy a product and you use it in some way that it's not supposed to be used in, you void the warranty. There, there, there are some cars, some trucks that if you, if you take it and you have the oil changed at an unauthorized dealer, they try to void your warranty. 
Let's say that you went out and you bought a brand new iPhone and you're like, my goodness, I've been looking for something to be a doorstop at my house. (laughs) And you use it as a doorstop and then all of a sudden you're like, this thing's not working. And you take it back down to the dealership and you're like, hey, by the way, this phone is a terrible doorstop. I want my money back. And they're going to say, well, it's not designed to be a door. You've been using it as a doorstop. Your warranty's voided. There's no guarantee you used it the wrong way. And so he's telling us right here, this promise is limited in its audience. That it's just not for anyone. Matter of fact, verse 28 tells us who the audience is. To those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. For instance, a man who never gave God any attention at all, who never prayed, he never worshiped God, he steals a car, he robs the bank, he shoots the guard dead, he is arrested, he is tried, and he is convicted. He is sentenced to die. He is right now on death row. Let's say that he picks up a Bible and he reads Romans eight twenty eight. Can he say, oh, I claim this promise right now? No! No, he can't claim it. Do you know why? Because he doesn't love God. He's not called according to God's purpose. But I also want to say this. Anybody on death row, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how bad you've been in your past, if you'll turn from your sins and if you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be gloriously saved and in an instant, all of a sudden you can claim the promises of Romans 8.28. And some of you are like, man, I'm so glad, Pastor, you're talking to those inmates. They need to hear it. And we have a large group of incarcerated individuals that watch our television program. And they, they, they send me correspondence. Pastor, I'm so glad those, those, those inmates need to hear what you're saying. Well, now let's just hold it a minute. There might be somebody that's listening to me today that might be self-centered, they might be affluent, they might be a materialistic person uh, who gives God really just kind of token lip service. You honor Him with your mouth. The Scripture says your heart is far from Him. God's just a little part of your life. He's not a very big part of your life. I'm here to tell you, friend, you can't claim that promise either. The only relationship you have with God is you come to church on Sunday, yet you live like hell on Monday. Students, listen to me. When folks at your school find out that you go to church, they're like, are you serious? You're the biggest drunk we have. Are you kidding me? Your language is worse than mine, and I don't even claim to know Jesus. This is not a guarantee for you to claim. It's not just those who are down and out who need Jesus, friend. It's those who are up and out who need Jesus too. But I'm glad you're listening to me today. Because I'm going to give you the same offer. No matter how bad you've been. No matter how selfish you've been. No matter how materialistic you've been. No matter how hypocritical you've been. Wherever you are, 
and whatever you've done, you can turn to Christ right now. And you can claim Romans 8, 28. Let me ask you two personal questions and we'll finish it. How can I know that I can claim Romans 8, 28? Please listen to this. Don't miss this. Question number one, do you have a passionate love for God? Do you have a passionate love for God? Right there, it's what it says. This is those who love God. It's so strange to me. You talk to people about their relationship with God, and they talk about God in such an impersonal way. I would even say, I would even say those in church talk about God in such an impersonal way. For instance, you say, hey, do you know God? And, and, and they respond like this, well, I'm a Baptist. And I usually say this, I'm sorry. I know Baptists well. God help you. Or they respond, I'm a Protestant. Or I'm a Catholic. And you then ask them about their relationship with God and they say, oh yeah, 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 I believe in God. Hey, you might believe in lightning too, but you haven't been touched by it. Hopefully you've not. The Bible talks about the thing that God desires and requires of us is a personal relationship. Can you honestly say that you have a personal relationship with God where you say, God, I love you. God, I love you. Can you say that? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? You can't love him unless you know him. But I'm telling you, if you know him, you love him. The Bible goes on and makes it a little bit more difficult. The Bible says you can't say that you love God if you don't love other people. Man, that is, whoa, man, that's a clincher right there, isn't it? That's a catch. 1 John 4, 20. Listen to what it says. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you have a passionate love for God? You say, how can you tell? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is there any area of your life that you're not willing to obey God in? Notice I did not ask, is there any area of your life that you're not perfect in? There's not one of us perfect, friend. I'm sure not. But is there an area of your life that you don't even have a desire to be obedient in. It could be anything. It could be dating relationships. Some folks that are listening to me today and, and you're like, you know what? I love Jesus with all my heart. Yet you and your girlfriend or boyfriend, you're living like husband and wife. You're sexually active. Well, that's an area that you're like, well, I'm going to hang on to this one. It's any area, right? Let me ask you the second question. Do you have a persistent longing to be like Jesus? You say, well, now, Pastor, I heard what you said about loving God because the Scripture says that, but the Scripture doesn't say anything about, about Jesus. So how in the world did you come to this? Do you have a persistent longing to be like Jesus? Because that's not the uh, that's, that's not the scripture and you're an expository preacher. Well, okay, let's just make sure we're on the same page. Look at the last four words of verse 28. He says, according to his purpose. 
Can I just say this? This is something very deep. This is something very theological, okay? It's no mistake that Romans 8.29 follows Romans 8.28. (laughs) That's not deep at all. It's common sense. God wanted it that way, okay? What's God's purpose for your life? Look at Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, don't worry about those words. Next week, we'll really dive into those Two words, and some of you are like, oh, I've been waiting on this the entire time. Good, good. I expect you to be on the front row next week. Here's the part I want you to see. To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know what God's will is or God's plan is for my life and what God's plan is for your life? To make you more like Jesus every day and in every way. That's it, right? That's it. You've heard me say this before. If God's only desire for your life is for you to make sure that your ticket is punched to heaven when you die, then the best thing in the world we could do when you publicly profess Jesus Christ is stick a gun to your head and send you on to heaven. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's true. No, what is he doing? He is making you more and more daily into the very image of Jesus Christ. So is your desire, I want to be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to help you here. Examine your own heart. Are you more interested in being who you are? Are you more interested in being like Jesus? I know what we say. We say, well, you know what? God has created us all, and God created me just as I am. And we say, come just as you are. Absolutely come just as you are. There is not a one of us that can withhold attendance in this place because we think we're better than someone else. Come just as you are, but God does not want you to stay just as you are. You say he created us, absolutely, he created us just perfect, just right. And then all of a sudden we were born. And we were born that sin nature that we can thank our great, great, great grandpa and grandma Adam and Eve for. It takes root. And then all of a sudden we start choosing to sin. And that which God has created that was lacking nothing, now all of a sudden becomes marred because of the sin in our life. And for us to sit there and say, well, God's created me this way. And you know, I'm just going to be who I am. Friend, listen to me. No, we take the approach. God has created me. And then sin has messed me up. But God is so loving. God is so merciful. God is so gracious. God says, I'll fix you. And I'll make you more like Jesus. So how do you know that you can claim Romans 8, 28? Your desire is to be more like Jesus. When you sin, you're broken over it. If you're able to go and sin and live any way you want to, don't sit there and say, oh yeah, I professed Christ when I was younger and I was baptized, so I have a relationship with Him. No friend, no change, no Christ. Not perfection, but desire. Wouldn't this be a wonderful church? Wouldn't this be a wonderful community, a wonderful world, if everybody said, God, I want to be more like Jesus every single day? 
And if that is your heart, then Romans 8.28 is yours to claim. Let me close it this way. Many of you have heard my story before. You've heard my personal testimony. Some of you may have not. When I was 21 years of age, a junior in college, I was driving home one night and I fell asleep behind the wheel and I hit a rural bank of a bridge on a country road in Tennessee. And uh, it crushed my legs, broke every bone in my face. Some of you thought I was just born naturally good looking. No, it took a lot of surgery. A lot of surgery. I've got a lot of hardware, door hinges as eye sockets. Well, not, not door hinges, but they look like hinges. A lot of various surgeries that happened. They said I wouldn't live. They said I wouldn't walk. They said I wouldn't smile. All those kinds of things. Still today, one side of my face, can't feel it. I can remember laying in that hospital there at the Med in Memphis, Tennessee, and I can remember saying, you know what, God, here I have. I've been faithful to you. See, what happened is at the age of 16, God was calling me to full-time vocational Christian service or Christian ministry, and I'm like, I'm not being a preacher. I can't be a preacher. No way. Number one, I can't talk in front of folks. That scares me to death. Number two, I don't want to carry a 50-pound KJV Bible. <laughs> right, that was back in the day you had KJV or NIV. That was it. I don't want to wear a suit all the time. I'm laying there in the med for 18 months, or the 18-month recovery. I wasn't there for 18 months, thank goodness. But the 18-month recovery, guess what? My life got very still and God started speaking. Hey, remember, remember, remember. And it was during that 18-month time that I finally said, you know what, God, whatever you have in store, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. I remember laying there and they wouldn't let me look at my face for a while because it was so swollen. They thought I'd freak out. I ended up going to a small little Baptist school in West Tennessee. It's where our youngest daughter is right now, Union University. I didn't know what to do, where to go. And I had a preacher that said, well, you need to go train. You need to go study, prepare yourself. Okay, all right, I'll go there. And I went there and I finished there. And I'm like, well, now I've got to get a job working in a church somewhere. And so uh, there was a church, First Baptist Church, Blyville, Arkansas. I never even knew Blyville, Arkansas existed. I really didn't. And uh, they were looking for somebody. I was looking for some church. And they said, hey, how about come be our student pastor? And I said, or, or, I'll be happy to do that. And I, you know, I was either do that or I don't know what I was going to do. And so I went there. And while I was there, one Sunday night, there was a drama team from the Baptist Student Union of Arkansas State University about an hour away in Jonesboro. They came to our Sunday night services. And there was this pretty, pretty young blonde lady. And we started dating, got the urge to merge, and married. <laughs> and then we left that church and went to another church, and then God called us to another church, and then God called us to uh, full, start being the pastor instead of the student pastor. And we had kids, and man, what great kids we have. We're so blessed. Great family, never, never could have dreamt. And then almost 12 years ago, I get a phone call from 
some folks here in Highland Park Baptist in Panama City, Florida. Hey, would, would you be interested? We're looking for a pastor. My Panama City, Florida, nothing good happens in Panama City, Florida. <laughs> right? Because that's what the news, that's all they ever said. Oh, man, yeah, people get drunk and this debauchery happened. And Panama City, what? Are you kidding me? And then God laid upon our heart that, we, that I was to be your pastor. He laid it upon your heart. Well, not some of you. A lot of you weren't even here then. So you're like, don't blame me. It wasn't me. <laughs> laid it on your heart. I mean, that would have been terrible if he had laid it on one heart, not the other heart. And I came to be a pastor. And I can say today, there is not, there is not another place in the world I'd want to be besides Highland Park. Please, please hear me. And I'm not saying I'm the example. Oh my goodness, no. I mean, you hang around me, you're going to find out. I'm just like you. I'm, thank God I'm a sinner saved by grace. So please hear me. I'm not trying to exalt myself today, but listen, I was there. I was in that hospital room. I was there in the med, and I was like, I don't understand, God. I, I love you. God, I'm saved. I'm your child. And, you know, have, can you hear me? Do you know I'm here? And then the pain and, and, and the learning how to walk all over again and all the surgeries that happened. And, oh, my goodness, you know, God, have you forgotten about me? God, do you see, do you see what suffering that I'm dealing with down here? Today, I'd tell you this. Outside of the day that I was saved when I was nine, almost ten years of age, the greatest thing that ever happened to me is falling asleep behind the car and almost losing my life. Because God said, do you still trust me? And God took some, I don't know how he did it. Huh. I don't know how. No wreck. No surrender. No surrender. No blival. No blival, no pretty blonde on Sunday night, no marriage, no kids, no church after church. I mean, my goodness, no Annie Mitchell pecan pie. Know this. Trust him. He has a guarantee. There are many of you that are listening to me today. You know Jesus is Lord and Savior. If, if today were to be your last day, you know that you will be with him. You're not worried about that. That is settled. You have a personal relationship with him in your life. Can I just stop and say this? He desires that for all that you have that same kind of confidence. But yet, and let me just say this, I've not read your mail. I, I don't have your house on surveillance. But I'll say this. He's saying, 
Why won't you trust me in this? Now, I don't know what the this is. I got my own thises. You trust me to save your soul? To keep it for all eternity? Why won't you trust me in this? I'll work good. Now, friend, I can promise you this. There is not a day that goes by that I'm like, you know what? That car wreck was so profound in my life. I think tonight I'm going to try to go to sleep driving home and wreck a car. (laughs) No, no. Hey, I think I want to hang out at the Med in Memphis, Tennessee for a while. I want my jaws to be wired shut again. I can promise you that's not true. There's not a single bit of that pain and suffering that I would choose. I'm just saying God's so good. He worked it for something greater than I could ever even drawn up. What is this? Why won't you trust him even in this? And there are some of you that are here today and you know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know, maybe your family's had you in church forever. You're playing the game When you're with the people here, you act one way, but when you're away from here, the true nature comes out. Oh, my heart breaks for you. I'm afraid. I have fear. I have fear that you will die before you turn to Jesus Christ with your life. It does not have to be that way. Today. Today, he can change you. Doesn't matter how long you've been the hypocrite, he can change you today. Doesn't matter how religious you are or non-religious, he'll save you today. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.